Section 19 of Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sudeshna. Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 1 by Thomas Stevens. Chapter 8, Part 2. Yesterday evening's downpour has little injured the road between the Mehana and Philippopolis, the capital of Eumelia, and I wheel to the confines of that city in something over two hours. Philippopolis is most beautifully situated, being built on and around a cluster of several rocky hills, a situation which, together with the plenitude of waving trees, imparts a pleasing and picturesque effect. With a score of tapering minarets pointing skyward among the green foliage, the scene is thoroughly oriental. But, like all eastern cities, distance lends enchantment to the view. All down the Maritza Valley, and in lesser numbers extending southward and eastward over the undulating plains of Adrianpol, are many prehistoric mounds, some twenty-five or thirty feet high, and of about the same diameter. Sometimes in groups and sometimes singly, these mounds occur so frequently that one can often count a dozen at a time. In the vicinity of Philippopolis several have been excavated, and human remains discovered reclining beneath large slabs of coarse pottery set up like an inverted V, thus A, evidently intended as a watershed for the preservation of the bodies. Another feature of the landscape, and one that fails not to strike the observant traveller as a melancholy feature, are the Mohammedan cemeteries. Outside every town and near every village are broad areas of ground, thickly studded with slabs of roughly hewn rock set up on end, cities of the dead vastly more populous than the abodes of life adjacent. A person can stand on one of the Philippopolis heights and behold the hills and vales all around thickly dotted with these rude reminders of our universal fate. It is but as yesterday since the Turk occupied these lands, and was in the habit of making it particularly interesting to any dog of a Christian, who dared desecrate one of these Mussulman cemeteries with his unholy presence, but to-day they are unsurrounded by a protecting fence, or the moral restrictions of dominant Mussulmans, and the sheep, cows, and goats of the infidel Gheor graze among them. And, O shade of Mohammed, hogs also scratch their backs against the tombstones and root around at their own sweet will, sometimes unearthing skulls and bones which it is the Turkish custom not to bury at any great depth. The great number and extent of these cemeteries seem to appeal to the unaccustomed observer in eloquent evidence against a people whose rule find religion have been of the sword. While obtaining my breakfast of bread and milk in the Philippopolis bazaar, an Arab ragamuffin rushes in, and with anxious gesticulations towards the bicycle, which I have from necessity left outside, and cries of Monsieur, Monsieur, plainly announces that there is something wrong in connection with the machine. Quickly going out, I find that, although I left it standing on the narrow apology for a sidewalk, it is in imminent danger of coming to grief at the instance of a broadly laden donkey which with his load veritably takes up the whole narrow street, including the sidewalks, as he slowly picks his way along through mud-holes and protruding cobblestones. And yet Philippopolis has improved wonderfully, since it has nominally changed from a Turkish to a Christian city, I am told, the cross having in Philippopolis not only triumphed over the crescent, 
but its influence is rapidly changing the condition and appearance of the streets. There is no doubt about the improvements, but they are at present most conspicuous in the suburbs, near the English consulate. It is threatening rain again as I am picking my way through the crooked streets of Philippopolis towards the Adranopole Road. Verily, I seem these days to be fully occupied in playing hide-and-seek with the elements. But in Rumelia, at this season, it is a question of either rain or insufferable heat. And perhaps, after all, I have reason to be thankful at having the former to contend with rather than the latter. Two thunderstorms have to be endowed during the forenoon, and for lunch I reach a mehana where, besides eggs roasted in the embers, and fairly good bread have actually offered a napkin that has been used but a few times, an evidence of civilization that is quite refreshing. A repetition of the rain-dodging of the forenoon characterizes the afternoon journey, and while halting at a small village the inhabitants actually take me for a mountbank, and among them collect a handful of diminutive copper coins, about the size and thickness of a gold twenty-five cent piece, and of which it would take at least twenty to make an American cent, and offer them to me for a performance. What with shaking my head for no, and the villagers naturally mistaking the motion for yes, according to their own custom, I have quite an interesting time of it, making them understand that I am not a Montbank travelling from one Romelian village to another living on two cents worth of black sandy bread per diem, and giving performances for about three cents a time. For my halting place to-night I reach the village of Kohem, in which I find a mehana, where although the accommodations are of the crudest nature, the proprietor is a kindly disposed, and withal a thoroughly honest individual, furnishing me with a reed mat and a pillow, and making things as comfortable and agreeable as possible. Eating raw cucumbers as we eat apples or pears appears to be universal in Oriental Europe. Frequently through Bulgaria and Romalia I have noticed people, both old and young, gnawing away at a cucumber with the greatest relish, eating it rind and all without any condiments whatever. All through Rumelia the gradual decay of the crescent and the corresponding elevation of the cross is everywhere evident. The Christian element is now predominant, and the Turkish authorities play but an unimportant part in the government of internal affairs. Naturally enough it does not suit the Muslim to live among people whom his religion and time-honoured custom have taught him to regard as inferiors. The consequence being that there has of late years been a general folding of tents and silently stealing away, and today it is no very infrequent occurrence for a whole Muslim village to pack up, bag and baggage, and move bodily to Asia Minor, where the Sultan gives them tracts of land for settlement. Between the Christian and Muslim populations of these countries, there is naturally a certain amount of the six of one and half a dozen of the other principle and in certain regions where the Muslims have dwindled to a small minority, the Christians are ever prone to bestow upon them the same treatment that the Turks formerly gave them. There appears to be little conception of what we consider good manners among Oriental villagers, and while I am writing out a few notes this evening, the people crowding the Mehana, because of my strange unaccustomed presence, stand around watching every motion of my pen jostling carelessly against the bench and commenting on things concerning me and the bicycle with a garrulousness that makes it almost impossible for me to write. The women of these Eumelian villages bang their hair and wear it in two long braids, or plait it into a streaming white headdress of some gauzy material behind. Huge silver clasps artistically engraved that are probably heirlooms fasten a belt around their waist, and as they walk along barefooted, strings of beads bangles and necklaces of silver coins make an incessant jingling. 
The sky clears, and the moon shines forth resplendently, ere I stretch myself on my rude couch to-night, and the sun rising bright next morning would seem to indicate fair weather at last, an indication that proves illusory, however, before the day is over. At Kaskor, some fifteen kilometres from Kohem, I am able to obtain my favourite breakfast of bread, milk, and fruit, and while I am indoors eating it, a stalwart Turk considerately mounts guard over the bicycle resolutely keeping the meddlesome crowd at bay until i get through eating the roads this morning though hilly are fairly smooth and about eleven o'clock i reach ermuli the last town in rumelia where besides being required to produce my passport i am requested by a pompous lieutenant of joint army to produce my permit for carrying a revolver the first time i have been thus molested in europe upon explaining as best i can that i have no such permit and that for a voyageur permission is not necessary something about which i am in no way so certain however as my words would seem to indicate i am politely disarmed and conducted to a guard-room in the police barracks and for some twenty minutes am favoured with the exclusive society of a uniformed guard and the unhappy reflections of a probably heavy fine if not imprisonment I am inclined to think afterward that in arresting and detaining me, the officer was simply showing off his authority a little to his fellow Ermulites clustered about me and the bicycle, for at the expiration of half an hour my revolver and passport are handed back to me, and without further inquiries or explanations I am allowed to depart in peace. As though in wilful aggravation of the case, a village of gypsies have their tents pitched, and their donkeys grazing in the last Mohammedan cemetery I see, are passing over the Rumelian border into Turkey proper, where, at the very first village, the general aspect of religious affairs changes, as though its proximity to the border should render rigid distinctions desirable. Instead of the crumbling walls and tottering minarets, a group of closely veiled women are observed, praying outside a well-preserved mosque, and praying sincerely too, since not even my never-before-seen presence and the attention-commanding bicycle are sufficient to win their attention for a moment from their devotions. Albeit those I meet on the road peer curiously enough from between the folds of yashmaks. I am worrying along to-day in the face of a most discouraging headwind, and the roads, though mostly rideable, are none of the best. For much of the way there is a macadamized road that in the palmy days of the Ottoman dominion was doubtless a splendid highway, but now weeds and thistles, evidences of decaying traffic, and of the proximity of the Umelian railway are growing in the centre, and holes and impassable places make cycling a necessarily wide-awake performance. Mustafa Pasha is the first Turkish town of any importance I come to, and here again my much-required passport has to be exhibited but the police officers of mustafa pasha seem to be exceptionally intelligent and quite agreeable fellows my revolver is in plain view in its accustomed place but they pay no sort of attention to it neither do they ask me a whole rigmarole of questions about my linguistic accomplishments whither i am going whence i came etc but simply glance at my passport as though its examination were a matter of small consequence anyhow shake hands and smilingly request me to let them see me ride it begins to rain soon after I leave Mustafa Pasha, forcing me to take refuge in a convenient culvert beneath the road. I have been under this shelter but a few minutes when I am favoured with the company of three swarthy Turks, who, riding towards Mustafa Pasha on horseback, have sought the same shelter. These people straightway express their astonishment at finding me and the bicycle under the culvert, 
by first commenting among themselves. Then they turn a battery of Turkish interrogations upon my devoted head, nearly driving me out of my senses ere I escape. They are, of course, quite unintelligible to me, for if one of them asks a question, a shrug of the shoulders only causes him to repeat the same over and over again, each time a little louder and a little more deliberate. Sometimes they are all three propounding questions and emphasizing them at the same time, until I begin to think that there is a plot to talk me to death and confiscate whatever valuables I have about me. They all three have long knives in their waistbands, and instead of pointing out the mechanism of the bicycle to each other with a finger like civilized people, they use these long, wicked-looking knives for the purpose. They may be a coterie of heavy villains for anything I know, to the contrary, or am able to judge from their general appearance, and in view of the apparent disadvantage of one against three in such cramped quarters, I avoid their immediate society as much as possible, by edging off to one end of the culvert. They are probably honest enough, but as their stock of interrogation seems inexhaustible, at the end of half an hour I conclude to face the elements and take my chances of finding some other shelter farther ahead rather than endure their vociferous onslaughts any longer. They all three come out to see what is going to happen, and I am not ashamed to admit that I stand tinkering around the bicycle in the pelting rain longer than is necessary before mounting, in order to keep them out in it and get them wet through if possible in revenge for having practically ousted me from the culvert. And since I have a waterproof and they have nothing of the sort, I partially succeed in my plans. The road is the same ancient and neglected macadam, but between Mustafa Pasha and Adrianople they either make some pretense of keeping it in repair, or else the traffic is sufficient to keep down the weeds, and I am able to mount and ride in spite of the downpour. After riding about two miles I come to another culvert, in which I deem it advisable to take shelter. Here also I find myself honoured with company, but this time it is a lone cowherder, who is either too dull and stupid to do anything but stare alternately at me and the bicycle, or else is deaf and dumb, and my recent experience makes me cautious about tempting him to use his tongue. I am forced by the rain to remain cramped up in this last narrow culvert until nearly dark, and then trundle along through an area of stones and waterholes towards Adrianople which city lies I know not how far to the southeast. While trundering along through the darkness in the hope of reaching a village or mehana, I observe a rocket shoot skyward in the distance ahead, and surmise that it indicates the whereabout of Adrianople. But it is plainly many a weary mile ahead. The road cannot be ridden by the uncertain light of a cloud-veiled moon, and I have been forging ahead over rough ways leading through an undulating country, and most of the day against a strong headwind since early dawn. By ten o'clock I happily arrive at a section of country that has not been favoured by the afternoon rain, and, no mehana making its appearance, I conclude to sup off the cold, cheerless memories of the black bread and half-ripe pears eaten for dinner at a small village, and crawl beneath some wild prune bushes for the night. A few miles wheeling over very fair roads next morning brings me into Adrianople, where, at the Hotel Constantinople, I obtain an excellent breakfast of roast lamb this being the only well-cooked piece of meat I have eaten since leaving Nish. It has rained every day, without exception, since it delayed me over Sunday at Bela Palanka, and this morning it begins while I am eating breakfast, and continues a drenching downpour for over an hour. While waiting to see what the weather is coming to, I wander around the crooked and mystifying streets, watching the animated scenes about the bazaars, and try my best to pick up some knowledge of the value of the different coins. 
for I have had to deal with a bewildering mixture of late, and once again there is a complete change. Megidis, Chediks, Piastres, and Paris now take the place of Serb francs, Bulgar francs, and the bewildering list of nickel and copper pieces, down to one that I should think would scarcely purchase a wooden toothpick. The first named is a large silver coin worth four and a half francs. The Sterik might be called a quarter dollar, while piastres and paras are tokens, the former about five cents and the latter requiring about nine to make one cent. There are no copper coins in Turkey proper, the smaller coins being what is called metallic money, a composition of copper and silver, varying in value from a five-para piece to five piastres. The Adrianopolitans, drawn to the hotel by the magnetism of the bicycle, are bound to see me ride whether or no, and in their quite natural ignorance of its character, they request me to perform in the small, roughly paved courtyard of the hotel, and all sorts of impossible places. I shake my head in disapproval and explanation of the impracticability of granting their request. But unfortunately, Adrianopol is within the circle where a shake of the head is understood to mean yes, certainly and the happy crowd range around a ridiculously small space and smiling approvingly at what they consider my willingness to oblige motion for me to come ahead an explanation seems really out of the question after this and i conclude that the quickest and simplest way of satisfying everybody is to demonstrate my willingness by mounting and wobbling along if only for a few paces which i accordingly do beneath a hack shed at the imminent risk of knocking my brains out against beams and rafters at eleven o'clock I decide to make a start, I and the bicycle being the focus of attraction for a most undignified mob as I trundle through the muddy streets toward the suburbs. Arriving at a street where it is possible to mount and ride for a short distance, I do this in the hope of satisfying the curiosity of the crowd, and being permitted to leave the city in comparative peace and privacy. But the hope proves a vain one, for only the respectable portion of the crowd disperses, leaving me, solitary and alone, among a howling mob of the rag, tag, and bobtail of Adrianopol, who follow noisily along, vociferously yelling for me to bean, bean, mount, mount, and choo, choo, ride, ride, along the really unridable streets. This is the worst crowd I have encountered on the entire journey across two continents. And arriving at a street where the prospect ahead looks comparatively promising, I mount and wheel forward with a view of outdistancing them if possible. But a ride of over a hundred yards without dismounting would be an exceptional performance in Adrianopol after a rain, and I soon find that I have made a mistake in attempting it. For as I mount, the mob grows fairly wild and riotous with excitement, flinging their red fezes at the wheels, rushing up behind and giving the bicycle smart pushes forward in their eagerness to see it go faster, and more than one stone comes bounding along the street, wantonly flung by some young savage unable to contain himself. I quickly decide upon allaying the excitement by dismounting and trundling until the mobs get tired of following, whatever the distance. This movement scarcely meets with the approval of the unruly crowd, however, and several come forward and exhibit ten para pieces as an inducement for me to ride again, while overgrown gramins swarm around me and straddling the middle and index finger of their right hands over the left to illustrate and emphasize their meaning, they clamorously cry, Bean, bean, choo, choo, monsieur, choo, choo, as well as much other persuasive talk, 
which if one could understand would probably be found to mean in substance that although it is the time-honoured custom and privilege of adrianople mobs to fling stones and similar compliments at such unbelievers from the outer world as come among them in a conspicuous manner they will considerately forego their privileges this time if i will only bean bean and choo choo the aspect of harmless mischievousness that would characterize a crowd of occidental youths on a similar occasion is entirely wanting here their faces wearing the determined expression of people in dead earnest about grasping the only opportunity of a lifetime respectable turks stand on the sidewalk and eye the bicycle curiously but they regard my evident annoyance at being followed by a mob like this with supreme indifference as does also a passing gendarme whom i halt and motion my disapproval of the proceedings like the civilians he pays no sort of attention but fixes a curious stare on the bicycle and asks something the import of which will to me forever remain a mystery once well out of the city the road is quite good for several kilometres and i am favoured with a unanimous outburst of approval from a rough crowd at a suburban mehana because of outdistancing a horseman who rides out from among them to overtake me at adrianople my road leaves the maritza valley and leads across the undulating uplands of the adrianople plains hilly and for most of the way of inferior surface reaching the village of hafsa soon after noon i am fairly taken possession of by a crowd of turbaned and fezzed hafsaites and soldiers wearing the coarse blue uniform of the turkish regulars and given not one moment's escape from bean bean until i consent to parade my modest capabilities with the wheel by going back and forth along a rideable section of the main street the population is delighted solid old turks pat me on the back approvingly and the proprietor of the mehana fairly hauls me and the bicycle into his establishment this person is quite befuddled with mastic which makes him inclined to be tyrannical and officious and several times within the hour while i wait for the never-failing thunder shower to subside he peremptorily dismisses both civilians and military out of the mehana yard but the crowd always filters back again in less than two minutes once while eating dinner i look out of the window and find the bicycle has disappeared hurrying out i meet the boozy proprietor and another individual making their way with alarming unsteadiness up a steep stairway carrying the machine between them to an upstairs room where the people will have no possible chance of seeing it two minutes afterward his same whimsical and capricious disposition impels him to politely remove the eatables from before me and with the manners of a showman he gently leads me away from the table and requests me to ride again for the benefit of the very crowd he had but two minutes since arbitrarily deny the privilege of even looking at the bicycle nothing would be more natural than to refuse to ride under these circumstances but the crowd looks so gratified at the proprietor's sudden and unaccountable change of front that i deem it advisable in the interest of being permitted to finish my meal in peace to take another short spin moreover it is always best to swallow such little annoyances in good part End of recording. Recording by Sudeshna.